And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville. State dropping a 31-29 decision this past weekend against the Memphis Tigers. And, Charlie, we got together on Sunday coffee this past Sunday, kind of went through it all and kind of tried to figure out and walk our way through it. And so now, after everything has settled down just a tad, We've had the, the SEC come out. We've had Mike Leach's press conference on Monday. Mike Leach said, by the way, that they were told on the field that they were reviewing the call. So after the conversation with Mike Leach the other day, do you feel better or worse? How do you feel about the whole situation? I don't feel much better about our friends over in Birmingham right now because I think what they said was they were reviewing the play. They didn't review, as I appreciate it, the actual actions of the back judge coming in and waving. So the big part, the thing that mattered, nobody paid any attention to. And that's what's frustrating to me from a procedural standpoint in the Birmingham studio, office, whatever it is. Look, it was clear to me, you and I were screaming at the television that he blew it dead. How can somebody who actually has that job not see it? Therein lies my question. So, you know, going back to, first of all, the SEC in their statement said they should have stopped the play. They should have reviewed. And then we're, we're saying, hey, we were being told it was being reviewed. So what is it? And was the statement misworded? I just need some clarification. I mean, because, and going back to your point too, Charlie, and one of the reasons that, you know, we moved everything to Birmingham as far as being able to view it in Birmingham, because, you know, when they first started the replay, you had a replay booth in each of the stadiums. And so then they moved it to the Central Command Center. It's kind of like they do New York with Major League Baseball. You, you think that's kind of going to take really a lot of the extracurricular away from it. But it's a big difference in being reviewed and what's it being reviewed for. Now, if you're there looking to see if the ball was controlled and all of that good stuff, that's one thing. But it's the other thing of was somebody telling the officials, hey, you need to take a look, make sure that that guy wasn't blowing it dead. To me, that's what are you looking for? Because the guy in Birmingham may not have a clue. What am I looking at right here? Oh, yeah, it's rubber stamp. Boom, it's good. There is this concept called attentional blindness. And the idea is that you can be looking at a screen, but you're so focused on one thing that you miss even obvious things that also happen within your frame of view. There are other obvious things that they miss. Never mind whether the ball was down. Never mind whether there were two number fours. And normally, let me take a quick detour, normally I don't complain about there being two guys with the same number, except in this case, the guy wearing the number four happened to be their most dynamic player. That's the one, nobody's looking for two 57s. They're looking for two number fours. But then you also, with your attentional blindness, if you want to be charitable, miss the referee waving his arms. And you also miss the fact that there were too many guys on the field Interesting to note, isn't it, that even Memphis thought the play was dead. So now looking back, and, and overall, if you were to poll you know, a lot of Mississippi State folks, and it kind of goes back to that thing of people ask you the months leading into the season, well, how many games we're going to win? You really don't. I mean, you don't know the answer to that question. But if you'd asked a lot of people, they would have said, well, State will be, could possibly be 2-1 and one going into LSU. Now, I think that people would have flipped it. Hey, we may lose to NC State, who has a team that's coming back with a lot of players. And then you're going to beat Memphis on the road. So you are 2-1, and one, which is not all from what you, what a lot of people thought was would be the, the way the season would start. 
But now you go into LSU game. Overall, Charlie, we're a quarter of the way through the season, through the regular season. Where do you see us right now? The general scheme of things, everybody's saying, hey, we're not as good as we thought we were going to be. But at the end of the day, we're not a bad football team. I think one of the things that is dangerous is when you measure against expectations. Because when you come into a season with your expectations too high, you can set yourself up for some disappointment and hurry. Think back to where we let our expectations go last year after this same opponent, after playing LSU. K.J. Costello was going to be in winning the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> we, we thought he was the next guy, right? And so I don't know what I expected this to be. I thought 2-1 and one would be a, a reasonable pick. But ignoring the records for a minute and just trying to figure out what we have, I don't know. And a lot of it has to do with when do I look. If I look at us at the end of ball games, or I look at us at times on offense, I think, man, we're pretty good. I watch us for the most part. I think we're pretty good on defense. But then there are other times you look at us on offense and you say, ooh, boy, we got some work to do. And I think that goes back to just being a little bit of an inexperienced team. You haven't figured out how to piece it together consistently. And Mike Leach also said in his you know, press conference earlier this week that that the, maybe we are holding the ball a little bit too more. Maybe we are being a little bit overly conservative, dropping th- things off underneath. And, yeah, these these guys go back and watch the film at all times. And, and we talked about it on our show on Sunday about how we are a different offense and we are a different team going down the field. But let me ask you this question. Are we looking at the end of games in scenarios like against Louisiana Tech where you're down big, having to come back? And then you're down by two scores against Memphis and having to come back. To me, at times, it's apples and oranges in those situations because defenses are not defending you the same as they would be in a tight game or if they're down. Are are we getting – how much of it is we're getting big yardage and big plays because Louisiana Tech and Memphis may have been sitting back a little bit in their zone defense? Well, I would argue that people are sitting back in their zone defense anyway, and that's what's been giving us the most trouble, right? True that. And so, if anything, the prevent should work (laughs) more to our detriment than less. Yeah. And so, I think what you see, dude, look, there is obviously some degree of that. I think you're less likely to bring pressure, and quarterbacks don't have to worry about it as much. But I think to some degree, it is a sense of urgency, It is a sense of guys running routes that allow them to run double moves and get open. And I think it's one of those things. If you look, we have not thrown it down the field much. In fact, not many throws even past 10 yards. But when we've done it, we've been pretty good at any time of the ballgame. And that's what I was going to get to is before the season started, we started comparing stats about Will Rogers last year compared to what Gardner Minshew was a few years ago out at Washington State. And then we started talking about the completion percentage of 41%. And you brought this up in our number segment, that first deep dig we had. And you said, hey, I want Kellen Mond. I want 40, 41% completion percentage on balls over 20 yards. That completion percentage is there. That completion percentage is really good for Will Rogers on balls over 20 yards. And looking back to Gardner Minshew a few years ago, and even looking at Will Rogers last year, one of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago in all these numbers of average depth of target is, yeah, you want to go down the field more, have a higher percentage. It doesn't have to be 50 60%. You're just looking for something. We've dialed it back. 
I mean, you, when you look at the percentage of throws that are going over 20 yards, we're less this year than we were last year. Yeah, significantly. And we're even significantly less in the 10 to 20 range. And so I go back to one of the things that I heard somebody say, well, Will's just not very accurate. And I, the one thing I would say to take exception to that is this. Look at what he is throwing into. First of all, defenses aren't defending us beyond 20 yards. So, you know, we talk about how the field gets shorter if when you get down by the goal line. We effectively have been running our offense like we're at the goal line anyway, meaning yeah. everything is within that same range. Hitting the two-yard line doesn't take away 89 90% of the passes we've been throwing. And so you go back and you look, he's throwing into tight areas with a lot of people there and without anybody taking the top off the defense to make them say, uh, you know what, my first step ought to be back. Because right now everything is just right there in that zone. I think it's really tough to throw in an area that's the length of the – or rather the width of the field wide and 10 yards deep. Yeah, I've gone back and watched the balls you know, when we were at the three-yard line. Of course, you throw in a fade route on third down, and we've talked about that. And you had the batted ball on fourth down when we got down deep in their territory. And we're up 17-7 to at the time. A touchdown there, I think we're done. I think we can call off the dogs. We're going to the house. We got, the, we got this game locked up. And then you look later in the game on the two-point conversion where Will tucks it, tries to run with it, got stopped a yard short, you end up losing by two. None of those plays, just looking at those plays, we didn't have anybody open. I mean, we, we didn't have anybody open in the end zone. Yeah, the only guy that was arguably open, I think, was Dylan Johnson on the two-point conversion, but that goes against everything that nope. we've been saying, which is he's supposed to be the last guy you're looking to. You know, one of the things that we do sometimes we look and we say, this guy was open, you should have seen him. But what do we know about Mike Leach? And we know this from talking with Luke Falk, and we know it from hearing Mike Leach talk. You're going through a progression, and if your progression has that guy fifth, that's going to be the fifth guy he looks to. So through for over 400 yards, completing right at 75% of the passes, and we're still – we're still sitting there saying, man, there's so much left out on the field. That would, that's, a, that's a crazy step. But, that, but essentially, you're taking everything you've always had in the past in the running game and moving it over to the passing column is what you're doing. So, yeah, everything is skewed just a tad because what are we rushing for right now, 45 yards? What did you rush for the other day, 45 yards? Yeah, we're between 40 and 45 on average. So it's all averaging out. You're just putting one thing in one column and taking it from somewhere else. And, of course, we are in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county. Their customer service is fantastic. That's why I use Farm Bureau is because the service, and I know my agent, and I know if I have a problem, if something goes awry, I've got somebody I can pick up the phone and call, and they will be at my place in no time. So go with the home team at Farm Bureau, and we are once again in the Farm Bureau studios in Starville. Well, when we come back, we'll talk to an old friend of ours, Ross Dellinger, college football writer with Sports Illustrated. Talk about different things going on in college football. Charlie, you know, we're focused so much on referees this week, but there are so many other side stories in college football this year. You start talking about attendance and players coming back, NIL, conference expansion, conference expansion, scheduling, transfer portal. It's just, just so much. It's almost like an overabundance of information. And so can't wait to talk to Ross to kind of get his thoughts and feels of everything going on in college football. So we'll do that when we come back. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.
And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. And now we're going to talk with an old friend of ours, a Mississippi State graduate. We won't put him on the spot as far as talking about his favorite thing to do when he's in Startville. That's Ross Dellinger. Ross Dellinger, writer with Sports Illustrated. Charlie, Ross has become, it's kind of crazy to say this, Ross has kind of become one of the big voices in college football. And, hey, I, I can't wait to talk to him and get his thoughts and observations on a lot of craziness going on right now in college football. Well, beyond being a big voice, I think he's a trusted voice. He's a guy that hears a lot of behind-the-scenes, off-the-record talk from coaches and administrators. So he is as plugged in as anybody to this shifting landscape that we're seeing right now in college football. And this conversation and this segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing Mississippi-made product made right in the heart of Florence, Mississippi, down on Highway 49. They've got all those great sausages and varieties that you could have for your tailgate. If you're coming to start with this weekend, it's a morning game. That means it's a perfect time for Country Pleasing Sausage. Go by and check out their storefront, their butcher shop. They've got anything you can possibly need. So if you're headed to start with this weekend, drop on by on Friday, pick up whatever you need, and you'll be the talk of your tailgate by what you get at Country Meat Packers and Country Pleasing Sausage. And so let's go to the phone where Mississippi native Ross Dellinger writes for Sports Illustrated. Ross joins us now. Ross, hey, I tell you what, man, it's crazy when you start looking at how the season has started around the country, just a general vibe right now. Man, you go to these stadiums and you look and see all the crowds and stuff. Man, it just feels great. It's, it feels like football is back. It does. It, um, it finally feels normal. Last fall during the pandemic, I actually traveled quite a bit and um, ended up covering about 11 games. Uh, I was one of the only national media uh, guys on the road, um, so it was weird, but uh, it was um, it was just bizarre, you know. Um, there was no traffic, there was no line to get in the stadiums. Uh, it, it just didn't feel right, um, and so it's exciting this year that uh, that we're going to have those things uh, and hopefully do it in a safe way. Um, it's uh, but it's been good to see. I, I was at Florida, Alabama this past weekend, and that was. Um, you know, an environment that I had not seen in two years. Uh, so it was really great. And um, it was, uh, it felt like a kind of unofficial return of uh, the, the normal college football. Ross, when we go to games, it all starts to feel a little more normal now. When you talk to guys, is it more normal behind the scenes as well in terms of how teams are operating and administrations and that type thing? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I think so. First of all, you don't have right the uh, everybody's not getting weekly tested. Uh, now, some places there is still weekly testing, and um, of course, if you're not vaccinated, I think you have to get tested weekly. But for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of programs are, have done away with the surveillance testing, um, have done away with um, uh, masking uh, inside of facilities if they've reached a certain vaccination level. I think so. It is. It's, it's starting to feel a little more normal, even behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, you've, uh, you've had some hiccups every now and then, like a couple of coaches I know, um, have not been on the sidelines of their games um, because of uh, testing positive. But for the most part, um, you know, I think those worries are uh, a little more, certainly a little more on the back burner than they were last year. Talking to Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated. Hey, Ross, you know, we start talking about going back and how it's beginning to feel normal. And you mentioned Alabama, Florida. 
you know, those are the big game atmospheres. I think of Wisconsin earlier this year where they had the huge crowd there and, you know, jump around, everybody getting back into it, Virginia Tech as well. You look at this past weekend, Auburn going on the road to Penn State, and you had the great atmosphere and Happy Valley as well. But then you, you look at the growing trend around college sports, and I look back at this past Saturday as well at in Columbus, Ohio, where they had 71,000 people, 75,000 people, whatever it was, and it was the smallest crowd they had had at Ohio State since 1971. Just talking to people behind the scenes, are, are, are guys talking about this from a national standpoint about how it seems like a lot of fans are like picking two and three big games a year to go to instead of – packing out those stadiums week in and week out? Yeah, I think what what we're what we're having here is uh even before COVID, right, we we had a attendance decline that had been going on for close to a decade. Um it, it was a slow decline in attendance. You saw um fans start to choose uh the luxury of, of uh, the comfort of sitting in their home watching H D TV um, or watching on their mobile device somewhere, um, you know, where they could save a little money, not, not pay soaring uh, concession prices and, and, you know, $100, $200 tickets to a game. So you saw um, a lot of that already. And then COVID hit um, and it, it just kind of uh, exacerbated things. And uh, I was at a convention actually with ADs here in DC uh, a couple of days ago. And one of the, the discussion points was this, uh, um, and uh, was the, the fact that uh, fans don't want to, don't want to have a normal game day experience at a stadium any longer. They, they want to have the premium seating kind of club experience where you go and you stand around and you go get a drink and you, um, mill around a little bit and, and all that stuff that you don't want to necessarily stay seated um, and have that kind of what we think of as a normal experience. Um, and you're, see, you're seeing stadiums even before COVID change because of that. And you're going to see them really change, I think, moving forward. You're, you're going to see um, massive sections of seats removed for a club-type bar entertainment area um we've seen that already and i think we'll see that continue you know ross one of the other things that scares me a little bit for football is one of the things i said that i think hurt basketball and that is in basketball you kind of had the one and done you had guys who weren't there that long i look at the way now with the transfer portal and the free transfers and things that are taking place it used to be we cheered for the backup quarterback now we cheer for a guy who's a senior with another year of eligibility somewhere else who might transfer here next year. Do you see that starting to have a negative effect on kind of football and maybe the way coaches are approaching things? It's, I think it's a little early maybe to, to see uh, some trends there, but it, it is it is interesting. Um, I find myself um, scouring uh, rosters um, when I'm watching a game thinking, wait, he uh, plays for that team? Um, and and you, you you do that with pros all the time. Oh, I didn't know so-and-so had moved teams this offseason. But now now we're starting to see that um, in college football. It is, it's just a uh, – you have, you have a – basically you have a, a waiver wire that's the transfer portal. And, 
and coaches have created separate new departments for college scouting in, you know, places with resources have three or four people in those departments. And their job is to keep up with the transfer portal, keep up with the candidates that, uh, who could enter the transfer portal or could be convinced to enter the transfer portal, uh, to come to their school. So it's, uh, it's fascinating. It, it's certainly a new wrinkle. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what impact, uh, and I know coaches in a lot of ways hate it. And they didn't want the one-time transfer to pass and, a lot of them dislike the transfer portal. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how fans react to that. They're used to their NFL team uh, churning through different players from year to year and amassing. In the NFL, it's all about amassing um, because you have free agency, that one team, you know, one team, a single individual team from year to year. College used to be about building a team over three or four years uh, but we're we're in this situation where now college is, I think, coming a little more um, of building uh, a single year, a, a team in a single year. And I wonder um, how fans who are used to that NFL team doing that, um, how they feel about their college team cycling through players like uh, they have been. Talking to Ross Dellinger, Ross, you talked to a lot of coaches, and you brought it up a moment ago how there are so many coaches out there who who did not like this, and for obvious reasons. But let's take a look at the coaching standpoint and how it affects what goes on on the field. I was I was talking to someone across country last week, and he's a, he's an analyst, and he was making the statement. He says, "Let me tell you," he said, "I think you're seeing more and more mistakes offensively." That than you saw in years past because teams are not coached on fundamentals as much. And then he got around to saying, he said, listen, coaches that I talk to are almost like they're scared to coach hard. It's almost like the quarterback coaches are scared to death to really get in their quarterback's grill because what's how is he going to react? Is he going to transfer out of here because he's not happy? You, you saw this earlier this week at, at Utah. You had the transfer in, starts three games, went south, and now transfer out again. Do you think coaches are coaching differently now and not coaching as hard as they have in years past? Well, they, they uh, yes, I do, and I, I think they have to be because of the position – uh, the situation that we're in. Um, and I think there are a lot of factors that are contributing to that, right? Um, for one, players, you know, have a, a bigger voice than they ever had, which I think in large part is a good thing. Um, but but there are some drawbacks to that. Uh, I know that when I was 18, 19, 20, um, I, it was good that I didn't have uh, a, that big of a voice. Uh uh, the second thing is social media, and, and part of these two things go together. Obviously, athletes have a voice because they they have a platform. Everybody has a platform now on social media, so that um, that's another thing I think contributing uh, to all of this. Um, so coaches are in a weird position. If they coach like they used to, if they say things like they used to, uh, there's a chance that they could get in to real trouble um, if athletes use that voice of theirs and uh, use social media. So there's that. Um, and then we're seeing athletes get lawyers. Um, a lot of attorneys involved in things that uh, attorneys used to not be involved in. And that, you know, that also puts coaches in a, in a, a bad position. But having said all that, um, 
You know, I think you could still coach hard. Um, I just think you can't say maybe some of the like vulgar things that coaches probably used to say, uh, the threats probably that coaches used to use, you, you just, you can't any longer. In the intensity, um, I think can, can still be there from coaches, just has to be directed in a certain manner um, than, than it used to. But there is no doubt that because of this, that situation, all this situation, all the stuff we're talking about, that athletes on the field are probably a little more uh, maybe undisciplined. Um, I think we're, we've seen that maybe through this year. And, and maybe, it's, I don't know, maybe it's part of why some of the elite programs that we usually see uh, dominate and stuff are, are kind of feel like they're faltering uh, this year. And actually, maybe it'll be good for everybody because uh, maybe this will be the year that uh, we will actually have some parity. We're talking to Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated, and when we come back, we'll further the conversation. We'll talk more about what's going on in the landscape of college football and also what's going on down in Baton Rouge with the LSU Tigers. And once again, this segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, check them out. Go to countrypleasing.com. Everything they make is great. Charlie likes the jalapeno cheddar. I like it all. It's all fantastic. Back with more with Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And we're talking to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. And this segment brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, four locations. Summit, Alexandria, Louisiana. You've got one in Columbus, and then the main branch. They're adding on down in Hickory, Mississippi. And so for any of your forestry needs, that Barco equipment for the construction guys, the Saney equipment for the excavators and all that great stuff, check them out at Tracks Plus. Ross, you mentioned a minute ago kind of this desire for immediate results. And, you know, I think back at Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech and how it took a while to build it, and there's a lot of examples of that. I look at Chip Kelly, who people like now, uh, but last year and year two were ready to fire him because he hadn't seen any immediate results. And you just wonder kind of what this new urgency kind of from fan bases is going to do to the ability to actually, to use the phrase, build a program the right way. Right. And that's why we see a lot of right coaches um, – drawing from the portal. I mean, look at what Mel Tucker did this year and things are going well for them. But I mean, like half of the team is from the transfer portal. Uh, And part of it is probably because of that pressure, right, to win. And we're seeing coaches fired a year and a half in, two years in to programs. Um, So you you just don't have the time this year, uh, um, this this this. era of, of uh, college football, you just don't have the time that you used to, and why don't you have the time? Well, it all goes back to what everything goes back in college football and everything goes back uh, to in business is money. Um, it, it goes back to money. If, if you're losing football games, guess what? It, you're not, your attendance is probably dwindling, your donations and giving are probably decreasing as well. Um, so it, it, it all revolves around the dollar. Talking to Ross Dellinger, National College Football Writer with Sports Illustrated. Ross, as we're talking about the dollar, 
let's let's hit this. This week going on actually today in Dallas, the College Football Management Committee, the commissioners plus uh, Jack Swarbrick of Notre Dame getting together. It's all about playoff expansion. The board of managers is going to meet next week in Chicago. You've been all over this. Had an article about it yesterday. Where do you think we are right now with college football playoff expansion? Well, we're in a uh, we're in a pickle. Um, it's it's uh, it's kind of seems like a fairly uh, petty uh, situation. Um, I, I to lay it all out. Uh, there is a segment of the of the eleven ten commissioners and Jack Swarbrick, so, so eleven CFP board of uh, our management committee. They are yeah, they're meeting um, in Dallas, and they there's a split uh, among them. Uh, probably at least eight of them, eight of the eleven, want to um, want to recommend this twelve team model. On to the next step, which was give will be given it to the management committee. Um, or, or sorry, the board of managers, which meets next week. It's the presidents. Uh, and then, there, but there's three of them, as many as three, uh, maybe as few as one, who would like to wait and have issues. They had various issues with the 12 team model. Um, some of them involved reasons uh, that go back to the realignment. That were triggered by the Oklahoma and Texas announcement of uh, departing for uh, for the SEC. So there's a little bit of a stalemate. Um, I would not expect a recommendation, you know, to be made to the presidents. I, I don't think there's an agreement, even though there's a majority agreement among the commissioners. I, I don't think that there there's going to be a recommendation. I'm not even sure there'll be a meeting of the presidents. So this thing feels like we're headed toward a delay where the commissioner is going to have to get in the room and hash it out a little more uh, on this. Part. And um, there are some issues there. There are probably three or four main issues uh, that uh, the Pac-12 commissioner, I think, and, and the Big Ten commissioner, and maybe the ACC commissioner have with the model. I think of the three or four, um, all of them are somewhat resolvable, but not easily, um, not easily at all. So they're, they're going to have to get in the room and it may take a little while. Ross, one of the things we look at, Oklahoma and Texas come into the league. Obviously, right now, I think the best idea is that that'll be 2025. Are you hearing different? If you, Are you hearing that could happen sooner? And you know, kind of what impact do you look to take place across the league of the Big 12 and the SEC kind of in, the, in those gap years? I would be fairly surprised if it takes that long for Texas and OU to, to end up in the SEC. I, I just – uh, it's one of those things. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I just don't think it's it's going to take that long for them to uh, to get in the league. Uh, now it it means it means uh, giving the Big Twelve a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. Uh, but I think that's probably what ultimately might happen. Is there's some negotiation, or and maybe the negotiation involves not just Texas and Oklahoma giving the Big Twelve a lot of money, and I can explain that later but um maybe you know the big 12 tv deal comes up in like three years so maybe there's some involvement um with the networks to give a little easier path to the to texas and oklahoma leaving uh, by restructuring the tv deal or or extending it or something um so there's some 
possibilities there. Uh, there's definitely some avenues in which they can get out early, and I think they're probably going to take them. You know, I mean, the, the most difficult and costly avenue is paying the $80 million each exit fee. That's number one. And number two, because there's two binding contracts. There's the exit fee that they'll have to pay, which is two years of uh, revenue distribution which amounts to roughly 75 to $80 million each. And then there's the grant of rights, um, at which the Big 12's annual grant of rights is about $280 million um, as a whole. Well, Texas and Oklahoma, uh, you know, they probably make up around 50% of that uh, that uh, that number. And so that, if you do the math, that's $140 million a year, split it two ways between each, right? That's, 70, that's an extra $70 million a year. So you're talking about, $80 million penalty in however many years they leave with, or whenever they leave, however many years are left on the grant of rights, which that expires in 25, um, they owe $70 million for each year, each. So you're, you're talking about they leave two years early, that's $140 million each in grant of rights plus $80 million. So you're, it's just a lot of money. And I, I don't necessarily see, see them cutting that check, especially Oklahoma. Um, but there are some other ways that I think things can be renegotiated down that involve uh, the TV contract and such. Um, but to, to put it simply, I'd be surprised if uh, if they play out their entire agreement and, and not uh, come to the SEC until 2025. It, it would really surprise me. I think they probably get in the league um, by the time that the four new uh, Big 12 members get in. Uh, the Big 12, which I think is 2023. Hey, Ross, before we let you go, we're talking to Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated. Before you moved on to Sports Illustrated, you covered the LSU Fighting Tigers down in Baton Rouge. And speaking of the possibilities of stroking big checks, what's going on with Ed Ogeron and the LSU program behind the scenes right now? I mean, is this uh, how hot are things down in Baton Rouge after the way they played in their season opener against UCLA? Yeah, it's pretty hot. Um, it... Uh... I can't tell you exactly, um, you know, just not being down there as much anymore, what, what exactly the issues are down there. Um, but as we all know, as you guys know, being around football, you, you need a strong offensive line um, to do anything in, in football, pretty much. I mean, uh, you, you just, you do, especially in the SEC against the defenses you face. So um, I, I think that, that is an issue they're having, first off, is their offensive line. Um, but obviously the program, right, hasn't been – the team hasn't played uh, anything like we saw in 2019 or even before that in 2017 and 18 in Ogeron's first two years. Last year um, they didn't play that well, and, and this year they have started not playing that well. And when I say it's a big game this weekend for Ogeron and LSU, I could not um, – could not mean uh, that in any more significant of a way. It is a big, big game. It's a critical year for him, and it's crazy saying that just two years out from a national championship, but that's how things work in Baton Rouge. That's how they always worked, and, uh, yeah, it's it's a critical game and a critical year. Hey, Ross, appreciate you hanging out with us, man. It's a crazy time. It's a busy time for you right in the middle of college football season, and appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day to talk with us. Thanks, guys. And that's Ross Dellinger with Sports Illustrated. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield here with you. And once again, this segment brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. Tracks Plus, whether you're in the woods with that Barco equipment trying to 
get that 40 acres of pines out in a hurry if you're a forester trying to get that done. Barco equipment, they got the mulchers and everything like that as well. And then with the construction equipment with Saney, if you're looking for excavators, if you're looking for ways to do some construction work, if you want to put a mulching head on a Saney, that's there for you as well. Tracks Plus, four locations, Hickory, Mississippi. You've got the location on Highway 82 between Startwell and Columbus, Summit, Mississippi, and then down in Alexandria, Louisiana. They're the largest used equipment dealer in the southeast. And so if you're in uh, Hickory, Mississippi, that main branch, Ken Crosby, he can help you with everything. If you're over here in Columbus, Daniel Bounds in Columbus can help you with all that sandy equipment, Fred Fulton in the forestry world. So it's a Tracks Plus. This segment with Ross Dellinger brought to you by Tracks Plus. Charlie and I will come back. We'll have a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Now, welcome back. Final segment. Mark Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Startville. Well, a great conversation with Ross Dellinger right there, kind of getting the, the feel of the landscape of the college football season. And sure. You know what struck me about that, Bart, was he was pretty emphatic when he talked about this being a big game for Ed Orgeron. He sure was, and that's kind of where I was about to go with this. A little more than just, well, Ed needs to win this one. Is this a Ron Zook moment? In 2004, when Florida came here, or Mike Shula moment in 2007. Can it possibly be that less than a year and a half, and one of that whole year being a COVID year, away from a national championship that you let somebody go? That's crazy, isn't it? And you go back to the point a minute ago about, you know, this time last year, everybody was ready to say that Chip Kelly didn't know anything about college football anymore. The game had passed him by. The difference in Ed Ogeron. We were ready to say that when he was winning. <laughs> the difference in Ed Ogeron is he is year six now. Year six as the head coach at LSU, which is absolutely insane to think that Ed Ogeron has been the coach for six years. Well, you know, Les Miles has come and gone. He's already gotten fired at Kansas. And so, yeah, it, ha- it feels like it's been a little bit of time. So they opened their season at UCLA, of course, and got beat 38-27. to Now they've had balance back wins against McNeese, and Central Michigan. Here's the thing. When I look back at that game against UCLA, Charlie, LSU was really dominated along both fronts. UCLA ran the football. That's the Chip Kelly style. Chip Kelly and Dan Mullen are very similar in their quote-unquote spread. And if you were ever around Dan a whole lot, you realize that he wasn't watching spread offenses that were throwing it all over the field. He was watching Chip Kelly. He it's was not all you realize if you're around Dan a lot. <laughs> you were, but he was watching and tried to mirror his run game after what UCLA does. And so they are a spread running attack. We're a completely different style going against LSU. So you kind of wonder, you know, what that looks like, what our offense against LSU's defense looks like. Because to be quite honest with you, when they had their issues in week one, it was stopping the run at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, we won't be doing that. Uh, barring a a change that I can't foresee. And then you go and you add this. Coming into the season, we can always debate where somebody is year three. LSU widely regarded as having the best two cornerbacks, the best tandem in football. We like to talk about the ones we have. But, boy, they're pretty proud of Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks. I'm not saying they're better than ours. What I'm saying is those two guys are highly regarded. They will be as good as any cornerback tandem we face this year. Their safeties, pretty good. The The issue, though, for them seems to be covering in the slot. 
And so you wonder if a Wally and if an Austin Williams can work the middle of the field. And then let me give you something else, Bart. Now, this doesn't address any power aspect of running. But I was watching the Cowboys last week. They got a playmaker out on the edge that they weren't entirely comfortable. They were getting the ball to enough. They brought him in the backfield. They handed it to him. C.D. Lamb, small guy. Might we just get crazy and hand the ball to Tulu? Got to do something. I mean, he was only on the field. We talked about it on Sunday, seven plays. We targeted him one time yeah, in the passing game. Got to figure out a way to get him the football. I mean, that's that's the big thing there. Looking back at last year and seeing how that game progressed, and Bo Pelini, <laughs> who really should have been fired at halftime of our game last year in his first game as defensive coordinator, stayed in that man-to-man throughout. We were running those guys ragged. I mean, you start looking back to the quotes after the game about, hey, we were worn completely out by Mississippi State receivers just running all over the field. It's going to be different. Derek Stingley, of course, didn't play in last year's game. That's right. And so LSU looking to be in a probably a lot more zone. Now, I go back to the whole thought of LSU is not a typical zone football team. They're not used to – Ed Ogeron is not a guy that runs a ton of zone. How does that affect a defense? How does that affect a cornerback who's used to locking up a guy going one-on-one to all of a sudden I've got the deep quarter? Well, they normally play four-down defensive linemen too, so that kind of takes away the idea of the rush three, drop eight as well. So I think this is a situation – you know, coaches kind of look at things two ways. You've got coaches who say – we do what we do, and we're not going to let them stop us. Then there's coaches who say, we're going to look for opportunities, and we're going to adjust in a way that allows us to exploit those opportunities. We'll know a lot about this LSU defensive coaching staff on Sunday morning because I have to think if they are the kind who look for opportunities, we're going to see a bunch of zone coverage. So that's the matchup, really, in the matchup. And we'll get into this on Friday in our deep dig and start looking at the numbers and about the matchups of our offense against the LSU defense. But everybody's all that's all they're talking about right now is how will this offense match up with LSU defensively? And one of the things we haven't talked about is how LSU offensively, Max Johnson, starting quarterback, Brad Johnson's son, he's a left-hander. We all know about the Miles Brennan breaking his arm before the season began, and now here's Max Johnson, the quarterback. Here's what I learned from the UCLA game, Charlie. He doesn't like pressure. He didn't like pressure a whole lot. He, he really made some mistakes in the UCLA game because he was under duress a good bit. We started talking about LSU's offensive line, and Ross brought that up just a little bit ago. But if you can get pressure this week, here's a guy that may hand you the football a couple times. Yeah, he could do that. Now, he's been pretty good protecting it overall this season. He's completing just under 70% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, just two interceptions. And how about this? He's thrown at least – Three touchdowns in five consecutive starts. How about our defensive backs? How are they going to be feeling? Well, therein lies the whole deal, too. If, you know, what do you do and how much pressure do you, do you put on? You know, the first two games, there were big plays to be had. Memphis had one big play last week on a throwback pass where you pretty much had one-on-one. Everything had, had flowed to the left offensively, and you come back right and essentially one-on-one with a speedster. Who breaks you down for that play? The thing you really didn't see was last week about Memphis having the success on that 97-yard scoring drive and able to piece things together there. I think our defense, I think that's the outlier. I don't think you're going to give up. I don't think we're going to give up many drives 
that are methodical. I don't think we're going to give up many 13, 14 play drives. We may give up a big play, but I'm not looking for LSU to come in here and nickel and dime us three, four, five all the way down the field. Oh, I hope that's what they try to do because <laughs> that'll give us a much better chance defensively. Yes. I think I think the chances against this defense are throwing it over the top and kind of some of those send the flow one way, throw back the other. I think that's the way you try to score on this defense. And, of course, we are in Mississippi's college town here in Startwell. A lot of, got a lot of great things coming up in the next month here in Startwell, October the 2nd. Next weekend, you've got the Cotton District Arts Festival. It's usually Super Bulldog weekend. They pushed it back this year into the fall. So Cotton District Arts Festival is next Saturday, October the 2nd. I get asked all the time, Charlie, when people are in town about you know, things to do outside of sports. And one of the things that my family does a lot of on Saturday morning is the market, the community market at Fire Station Park, which is that Fire Station Park right there where Russell Street meets Lampkin. It's the T right across from where Russell Street comes in. And you can go there. They've always got farmers there, fresh produce, a lot of great things there. That's kind of a thing that we really don't talk enough about that's a really cool deal that they do every Saturday downtown. No, and you never know what you're going to find either. I, I think it's a great way just to get out on a Saturday morning, whether it's a football weekend or not. Maybe some mushrooms growing in the log or something. I mean, they got all kinds of things down there, fresh-cut flowers, honey, but a lot of that fresh produce from local farmers. And so also something else, November the 5th, Bulldog Bash is back, and it's going to be our good friend Hardy. Hardy's going to be back November the 5th. Of course, stayed out of town that weekend in football at Arkansas. And so Hardy will be here on Friday night. Looking forward to a big time downtown for Bulldog Bash. Yeah, it's always a good time. All right, Charlie. Good to talk to Ross Dellinger today. We get ready for LSU. Of course, we'll have our show on Friday, our deep dig presented by Trax Plus. We'll be back on Sunday, Sunday coffee. Strange brew in the gang there. We'll get that uh, strange brew coffee. We'll come in here and we'll talk about Mississippi State and LSU. Hey, 11 o'clock ball game. The weather is great, man. I'll tell you what. For a Wednesday in Startwell, man, the temperatures are fantastic outside. Shouldn't be as hot this weekend. 11 o'clock kick. Make sure you hydrate well. And make sure you go ahead and set those reservations for some restaurants Saturday night here in Startwell. Yeah, there's a lot of good new restaurants in town as well. So plenty of things to check out there. Oh, no doubt. So, for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Of course, thanks to our fine sponsors. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, and once again, presented by Farm Bureau. Thanks again to Trax Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, and Startwell, Mississippi's College Town. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field.